Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Three Right Turns, the progressive podcast from a conservative background. And you're really going to feel that one today because I am here to challenge my largely liberal audience to a broad minded discussion on responsible gun ownership and a pragmatic approach to gun legislation. In my mind, there are two major obstacles to conservative folks coming kind of wholesale around to more leftist policy at this point in time in America, and it's abortion and gun control. Sure, structural racism, naked contempt for the poor, those are things right up there, too. But those are more of a mindset issue than something that you can put as a, a defining policy. But guns and abortion really divide up the country. It's very polarizing. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of room to compromise on abortion, right? You either believe that a woman gets to choose what she does with her body with the guidance and care of her doctor, and that no other person or government entity should interfere with that choice, or you don't. If you want to debate that point with me, hit me up at 3RT at SwizzBold.com. Because number one, probably should do an abortion episode at one point, right? You know, because I think there's a lot of good arguments uh, and there's a lot of dumb arguments. And unfortunately, 90% of the time I see people arguing abortion in public, it's tends to be back and forth, bad arguments, dumb arguments. And also I think I got the upper hand in the debate, uh, when it comes to philosophical, legal, moral, even biblical ground. Cause remember I'm one of those weirdos has read that book, but with abortion, as, as progressives, we can't really compromise. We can't really give up any ground at all on the ability for women to choose what happens to their bodies. Even if that stand is unpopular, we still got to stick to it because it's the right thing to do. Even if it costs enormous political capital, we should spend whatever it takes because the other thing is kind of untenable. But gun control, I feel like the moral and ethical high ground in this particular bit of legislative and political debate is flipped. Yes, America is a very violent place. We've got more guns per capita than any other country. We have 120 guns per 100 Americans. That's not a typo. I did not misspeak. There's more guns than people in this country. Rounding out the top five of gun ownerships currently, the Falkland Islands at 62 guns per 100 Yemen at 53, New Caledonia at 52, Montenegro at 39. The greats. <laughs> We're in August company here with a gun ownership. We've got a lot of guns, a lot of guns in this country. Consequently, it's rare for us to be out of the top 10 for gun related deaths around the world. Sometimes we're near the top. We're also a country that has armed guards in our schools, drills our young children, often the age of five, six years old. On what to do if armed gunmen would do, be rampaging through their classrooms. We sell bulletproof backpacks to frighten parents. We've got metal detectors at the doors to our schools. Clearly, then, it's high time to heavily restrict guns. Ban them, if at all possible. Certainly ban military rifles. I mean, they don't have any civilian use. Certainly none that you can think of, right? You spend a lot of time around guns, fairly knowledgeable about them, and you'd be one to know, right? And no matter how unpopular it might be, 
no matter how daunting the legal and constitutional obstacles are, no matter how much political capital we'd have to spend, we should definitely spend whatever it takes to end this scourge of, of gun ownership in America. Well, I disagree. As you know, I used to be very conservative. It's been my experience, as I've detailed on this podcast, that once I started looking into issues deeply, one by one, my politics started to move leftwards at a pretty fair clip, I would say. But one of the few exceptions, very few exceptions to this trend has been my thinking around guns. Now, I honestly thought my mind would change a bit. And I guess it, it it's true. I'm, I'm a little bit less of a Second Amendment absolutist than I was 15 or 20 years ago. But as I've, I've, I've looked at the issue closer, as I've, I've really thought about the studies and reports on the matter and the proposed gun legislation before us, I see that a lot of these proposed forms of legislation are not only unpopular, but they're ineffective to boot. Now, I I personally do want to greatly reduce the number of gun deaths in this country because the amount of gun violence, suicide, mass shootings, it's all simultaneously a national tragedy and our inability to do something about it, a complete embarrassment. I feel so powerless every time a school is shot up every year that we we top the charts and, and gun deaths. It's it's very tragic. It's all it's all very silly and stupid. Now, a quick rundown of, of my background, though, before we go any further, I do own guns. I currently uh, have two pistols and two shotguns that I legally own. I'm licensed to carry a gun on me in Indiana and Ohio and the vast majority of states that reciprocate that right. But I don't personally carry a weapon on me unless it's going to be I'm going to or from a gun range. I don't pack, as they say. Uh, I don't currently own a weapon that anyone under any pr- proposed or conceived uh, categorization scheme would classify as a military style or assault rifle, but I have owned them in the past and I've handled guns since I was about seven or eight years old. My father thought it was important that I learn about guns and how dangerous they were and how they must be respected and only used under adult supervision. He wanted me to know that from a very early age because he knew I would be exposed to guns. I mean, we lived in rural Indiana. Everybody's got guns. If some kid got a gun out behind the shed or in the middle of a cornfield, there's no adults around. He wanted me to run and tell someone rather than be fascinated by them or seeing them as some you know super powerful thing that you only see on TV or movies. No, I, I knew the, the, the truth about guns and the practicalities of them, uh, how to be safe. Everyone in my family owns guns. You know, growing up, it was not uncommon for uh, me to watch my aunts and uncles challenge each other to skeet shooting competitions uh, and other type of, you know, plinking beer cans and bottles. All my uncles hunt. Uh, My brother-in-law hunts. In my parts, it's considered a good time to go shooting with your buddies and then, you know, clean and maintain your your guns around the table, picnic table or dinner table afterwards. And I've never felt unsafe around guns or in places where guns are common, uh, you know, at shooting ranges, gun shows, etc. And I'm not I'm not saying this to brag, right? Like, ooh, look at me, how badass I am with guns, how long I've known guns, handle guns. And I, I know that a lot of you probably don't have that experience. You know, perhaps some of you have been traumatized by gun violence or more likely you don't have any experience with guns whatsoever. Maybe you think that all gun owners are gun nuts. They're obsessed with their individual right to own and possess them. 
over our collective need to be safe from from violence and death. You know, maybe you think I'm a gun nut. I don't know. But that's not how I feel. I, I, I certainly enjoy shooting, but I'm not particularly afraid the government is going to take my guns. But I do worry that this attempt to take my guns is going to actually take away political capital and the will to do other things, things that will not only lower the number of gun deaths in this country much sooner, much faster, but also make the country better for poor and the middle class at the same time. To debate this point with me, I brought on Aiden from the YouTube channel Socialism Done Left. You may recall that we discussed options to rebalance our federal court system last year. So having him back on, and I, I doubt if you feel one way or another about this debate that our conversation is going to significantly change your mind. You know, I, I know how this works. We've talked about this on the podcast. You know, the best I can hope for is maybe give you an, an, a, a nudge in the right direction, uh, give you a few things that maybe you haven't uh, considered, uh, maybe just demonstrate what uh, a smart conversation about guns amongst reasonable people can sound like if you've only heard people screaming at each other on TV. Uh, or maybe my mind is the one that's going to be nudged here. Who knows? You know, all we can do is have a conversation. You guys get to decide what you want to do with it. That said, as I alluded to, I don't think you've heard many gun control debates like this. So without further ado, let's bring on Aiden from Socialism Done Left. So I'm Aiden. Uh, I run Socialism Done Left, a YouTube channel that does serious discussions and occasionally I post memes. Um I do debates on Twitch. You can find me on Twitter, getting mad a lot. Um, in terms of my background, I grew up, I was born in, in, in New Jersey, and I grew up in Maryland. Um, and so um, on, I've on seen the issue Sopranos of gun, in the wire. You were just a washing guns in gun culture. Come basically. On. <laughs> so the, the interesting thing um, I won't get too far into, into the history of it. So my side of the family is like, not my side, like my mom's side of the, the, the immediate family is like the liberal side. Um, so I, we've never had a gun in the house. Um, we often lived in like apartment style stuff. We never did hunting. So I don't have that background. Um, I have, I think the only guns I've fired has probably been like, I want to say a friend had like a, what do you call it? One of those little air rifle things. Um, so I, I am by no means <laughs> a personal expert. Um, yeah. So if you, if you want to paint me as like the, the, the out of touch liberal elite on the coast, right? That's me. Um, All right. Happy to do so. Um, I, but I do think that's because like I, um, I want to acknowledge that this is a tough conversation to have when you have this kind of huge divide, because um, this is the one thing where I've had, you know, I've had lots of conversations, as you imagine, where I live and, and, and the kind of political conversations I, I tend to have. I have a lot of conversations with very conservative folks and a lot of, you know, middle of the road Democrats and stuff. And the one thing that I've consistently found in the left is like, I've had probably a half dozen conversations with even friends of mine, close personal friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I can kind of get them to kind of like start into like a, the beginnings of a screaming fit about is just kind of like unironically advancing steel manned arguments around like, you know, just basic kind of like, you know, uh, a gun ownership stuff 101. Um, and like, they're like just really angry that I don't support like assault, we assault weapons bans and, and certain other things. Although I do, I, I'm, I'm going to be a hell of a lot more open to gun regulation than your average actual conservative person. 
Uh, well, I think this speaks to one of the most interesting trends in American politics over the past 50 years has been the rising rural-urban divide. The, mm-hmm. the urban places consistently vote more and more Democratic. The, the rural places vote more and more Republican. And over the past 10 years, we've seen the suburbs start to move blue. So it's yeah. really interesting that you have this immense geographic divide. Trump won the rural vote by like the largest in history, and I'm pretty sure Romney won it by the largest in history, and I'm pretty sure Bush won it the largest in history. Um, so I think, to be clear, a lot of what we're talking about is, that, is fundamentally about culture and people's personal experience. So that's part of what makes it so hard to talk about this from like a just a nuanced, uh, uh, abstract, enlightened political perspective right. where you're just above the issues. This is people's identity. It's their family history. It's what they do. Uh, uh, so I, I, I totally right. get that. So like I've I've shot, you know, guns since I was about eight years old. Like I have a lot of fun family memories of like, you know, on my granddad's farm. Uh, you know, with my aunts and uncles challenging each other to skeet shooting competitions and hunting with my uncles. And, um, and I, I just, I, I also just enjoy kind of like the sport shooting, uh, aspect of it. So there's like, like a lot of cultural, you know, friction there. Um, but yeah. And then, yeah, the other things like, um, like I do think that, um, it's, it's, I, I think that the, the arguments that we'll have are like the utility of these weapons, Mm-hmm. in in terms of like self-defense and personal self-defense i'm not too interested in but like collective kind community. of community community yeah. and and defense against like you know uh government uh overreach and then the other thing is like how much political capital how much how much political capital can we burn on this issue that might be better served um shoring up other things that would get us bigger bangs no no pun intended for your buck in terms of like reduction of suicides reduction of <laughs> Gun violence. I got that one slow, but I got it. Yeah. Sorry. So. <laughs> no, I, I, I get that. Um, I think yeah. that some people, I think particularly in the way that some people talk about it, like what's his face? Um, I think Pete, was it Pete or Beto? One of them was the assault rifle ban guy, and he got just a huge amount of flack for that. Um, and so I think part of this is the way the that people talk for about Texas. these things. The guy running for uh, Texas and as a Senate shot in Texas talking about the uh, ban. So yeah, that maybe it, it was not a good... No. And, and so I can't say that I'm actually much better on this one. I think it's mostly just because I pretty, I, I, in general, my like long-term views for guns, I think are pretty extreme. I am like, in general, I would like a society with few to no guns. Um, and so I can't say my rhetoric here is really good. I can't point to my track record either, but okay. I have tried to shift in, in, in more recent times to adopting more moderate rhetoric. Um, and in part, that's because a lot of moderate policy proposals. So you're talking about stuff like permits. You're talking about stuff like mental health checks. You're talking about stuff like background checks, stuff like having mandatory safes. Um, Essentially, anything, guns- anything that the mother's yeah. demand action is for, I'm, I'm for. On our, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of stuff like that does sell a lot better. It gets a lot of pushback. So I try to now focus more on that, I guess, is the way I think about it. Oh, this um, might be a boring ass conversation then. I don't know. Because well, I, like, so I do think on the actual substance issues like defense, like whether guns provide community defense, whether guns protect against tyranny. And for me, the other main harms is it seems like to me, guns help cause violent crime and it seems like they help cause suicide. And I think those are pretty bad. And so I think on those four things, there might be a significant amount of um, disagreement, actually. So. Well, well I mean, I don't know, because like I, I, I fundamentally, yeah, like one of the reasons uh, suicide, especially among men in the United States, is, is is high is because guns are an incredibly effective way to commit suicide. Um, there was, you know, sorry. compared to like pills or slitting your wrist or uh, other yep. forms like it's 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 super fucking effective. You you know, like with 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 gruesome exceptions. But yeah, um, uh, no, it's, it's there was news. this there was this really neat um 
so like the, the the first study that I often cite about that, just to agree with you, is this one, which has a really neat graph and just shows success rate by suicide. So with a gun, it's a four in five chance that you kill yourself. If you hang yourself um, or that it's it's like three and five poison, it's like two and five jumping, like three and ten. And everything else is less than that. We're talking like two and a hundred or so. Yeah, Guns sure. are just enormously more effective than the other ones. And in particular, um, um, so I, on that, there was this really interesting graph, I thought, from the New York Times, or no, Washington Post. And what it showed is the difference between suicide attempts and suicide successes, as it were, um, like fatalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so among men, one-sixth of the suicide attempts are done with a gun, but one-half of the suicide successes, um, one-half of the suicide fatalities are with a gun. And for women, it's only one in 50, 2% of suicide attempts are with a gun, but a third of the fatalities, 30% are with a gun. So, like, yeah. I, this is the kind of stuff I think. There's a huge, a huge amount of literature showing that guns increase suicide both on the success rate and also some that they increase the attempt rate. So I, I huh. just totally agree with you there. Um, I think I, I don't know about the attempt rate. That's um, I, I that seems counterintuitive, but like you know the success rate. I mean that's that's a huge thing on its own. I agree. What it seems to be there. So I won't go too much in, into this because it's going to be more of a topic. But um, suicide seems to be really highly impulsive. Um, a lot of studies show that a lot of people who attempt it, because um, we can't interview the ones who succeeded, um, of the people who attempt it and fail, uh, the the vast majority of them did so. They thought about it like ten minutes before or an hour before, and like I think once you get to a day before, you're talking about like ninety percent of suicides. Very few people genuinely have long term suicide plans. It's mostly something right. like a. It's like depression. You have a bad moment and you decide yeah. to kind of take it out and that's it. And uh, overwhelmingly, people that survive suicide attempts uh, say that they don't. actually are glad that they lived and they regret attempting suicide. Uh, yeah. So there, that's, that's also good numbers. I see uh, some people in your chat expressing amazement at the stat that only four out of five uh, gun suicide attempts uh, in, in, <laughs> in the successful death. Uh, you'd be shocked at how little uh space in your head your brain occupies uh and like yeah. you know if you look at it, it's like essentially from your eyes up and from your ears back and like little tiny gets like little walnut there at this so like a lot of the common ways to commit suicide if you're off you're on your angle a couple degrees or using a certain caliber bullet it's just not gonna not gonna get the job done um oh. but yeah it surviving it the last note i'd offer on that is that this might sound odd to think about with guns but it's true particularly the other kinds of suicide attempts is that a lot of research shows part of the reason why people who attempt it um don't attempt it again the vast majority of people who attempt suicide once in their life that's the only time they'll attempt it Mm -hmm. um uh the the reason why is it seems like suicide for a lot of people is actually a call to help it's basically them trying to get um help from their like peers and help from their community and to Mm -hmm. me it actually really indicates the reason why so many people attempt it indicates that people don't have enough social support which does indicate that like guns maybe help the, the the succeeding of the suicide, but also to reduce the the uh, like attempt of it. There are things other than guns that you should try to reduce. You should want strong community groups and so hey, on. Hey, so. we just in, we just finished the debate because uh, I mean because because honestly that's that's my whole thing. It's not that like um, reducing guns would not reduce suicide. That seems like extremely one hundred percent based and gun build. But uh, it's more of like uh, you would take so much, you'd use so, so much political capital doing that, especially in areas of the country, you know, where like if we want to try to turn like Georgia and Texas and places like that blue, we're going to need like percentage points of uh, 
you know, support. Like winning and losing is going to come down to half percentage point or percentage points, and you absolutely can kiss that goodbye with ill-advised attempts to like grab guns to lean into that stereotype amongst you know centrists and moderates in those states. So it's like, why would we do that when we can increase mental health funding? When we can make people's material conditions better? We can make sure that they don't have to you know, worry about, you know, their health care and their food and their housing and the, the, the education of their children. Like you would get so much further directly helping people rather than frustrating their attempts to commit suicide, you know? Uh, <laughs> sure. And to me, uh, the, 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 it's this idea. I totally agree with all of the stuff on, as it were, the supply side on the attempt side of things. Um, to me, it's, it's a both and sort of approach, not an either or. It's that we can do all the stuff on the supply side. We can fundamental health. We can provide social groups. We can provide all of this. And we can also focus on the, the, the um, success side, on the, um, the, the, on the actually going through and succeeding with its side. So I do agree on, on the rhetoric thing. If we want to talk about that. Um, I, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of specific gun control proposals are very popular. And I mm-hmm. think that one of the things that we're seeing is it, it's called the nationalization of races, um, like of electoral races. It's that it's harder and harder for people to differentiate themselves from the national party. So the idea is senators used to run 20, 30, 40 points ahead of the presidential candidate. Joe Manchin, right, is winning in West Virginia, which Trump won by like 20 points. It still occurs. But that that running ahead is going down and down and down each election. Um and so now there's an increasingly really strong correlation between like presidential vote and Congress vote for Senate and House. And so one of the problems with that, and this is one of the things that actually I think the centrist Dems were a little bit right to complain about, is when someone in the Democratic Party says something, it does actually become part of the message for every Democrat because people nationalize every race. You're not voting for your candidate. You're voting for the Democrats or the Republicans. And so as a result, one of the things that happens is bad gun messaging in one place gets blown up by conservative media, gets blown up by the NRA, and everyone hears about it. So, And that sucks because like, also, I do think that like what would make sense in New York City is not going to make sense in Wyoming. You know, uh, uh, like there's so much, uh, and I thought it was pretty funny too. I can't remember if it was this year or last year, the whole 30 to 50 uh, feral hogs uh, running wild through a kid's birthday party argument. Um, the thing is, is that like incredible. That's, it's it, it, it is a hilarious meme, but it's also not a Grand completely truth, right? crazy thing to worry about if you live in like the Ozarks of uh, uh, Arkansas. Uh, isn't that where the Ozarks are? I actually am not sure where the Ozarks are. Uh, <laughs> God damn it! Look at me, Southern Midwester, Midwesterner. Yeah. More uh, proof the liberal elites don't understand real America, right? Really? But no, but like, you know, like, um, I definitely have lived in places where I would want some sort of gun to protect myself and like my pets, for example, from, uh, you know, uh, the threats, uh, not like human threats necessarily. Um, and I don't know. There's also like, I think some kind of psychological appeal to like, if you live in, you know, a place that's 45 minutes from a big city, you might get mm-hmm. a response time of, 15, 20, 30 minutes if you call the cops to have some measure of personal self-defense um, that, you know, if a glass breaks at three o'clock in the morning, like, what are you going to do? Uh, and like those, like, you know, like there might be good counters for that. Um, but I think that if you, if you want to do it, you have to stop pretending like the entire country is like New York City. Um, and also the people living in Wyoming have to stop pretending like the entire country uh, looks like Wyoming and um, yay federalism. I mean, there's, it should be 
uh, th- there should be ways where we can kind of like set the, that kind of thing state by state. And I know it gets, you know, cause I lived in one of the poster child states, Indiana, mm-hmm. our terrible gun laws in Indiana directly fuck Chicago because you know, you, Guns you, you just drive, move. yeah, you drive 20 minutes outside of Chicago and boom, you're in f- extremely rural Northern Indiana. Uh, where you can just get a concealed carry permit by ni- n- n- nicely asking for it, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I think that's like the, and I, I don't know how to bridge that divide because there's a lot of things like, like, absolutely. I can see you need to do something like that, but also, you know, there's, there's, there's also a lot of, um, you know, unfamiliarity with guns. Like, it's like, Hey, we don't want to take your hunting rifles. And we don't want to keep you from engaging in your, you know, cultural aspects of shooting or whatever. But, you know, we just, you know, we want to take all your semi-automatic guns away. Well, that's well, like this is, a lot of guns. Sorry. That's a vast majority of people's like hunting gu- uh, weapons and certainly their self-defense ones. So I don't know. So um, on that note, uh, one of the things. So I, I, I sympathize with the idea that it would be really, really nice to have one gun policy in the rural places and one gun policy in the urban places. But um, the, the America does not have like borders between the cities and the rural places. Um, it is extremely difficult to like stop guns from flowing one way or the other. Um, and so as a result, it basically becomes impossible to have a policy that actually applies to only one or the other. Guns can move so freely and so can most products, right? It would be like as if you had a, a marijuana policy in the rural areas, but not in the urban areas. People would just move it, right? Um, so on this one, I do think that there does need to be a, maybe a federal, um, ideally, or even like region of state sort of level policy. But I do think that um, on that, a lot of the things that people talk about for gun control can resolve some of these issues. So like the number one way that um, criminal guns are obtained, like guns that people use in crime, is theft. Yep. Um, they steal them from homes. About half a million guns are stolen from homes each year. It's kind of crazy, but it's a lot. Um, and my suggestion here is basically gun permits to try and encourage only people who are responsible and have some sort of basically financial ability to pay um, to get guns. And then two, mandatory gun safes. It would be you get a gun permit, you've got to have at least one gun safe. Um, way back when I was, was talking about my family history, um, my, my grandfather actually had a whole gun cabinet. And it was just really funny because I'm pretty sure for like the first five years of my life, it didn't even have a lock on it. Right. Like th- mm. this is the kind of stuff that makes it very, very easy to steal um, guns. Oh, absolutely. Um, and... That is the kind of thing where legally transporting guns from from city to, to rural places is basically the, the way you stop that is with mandatory background checks and gun permits. Um, you, maybe you can trade between people who have gun permits, um, but you can't trade outside of that. That's the way you make sure that there's licensing and that's to make sure make sure that the way you make sure that everyone is like in the system has been checked out. Um, you can't close all the loopholes, but I guess that the point is that those loopholes, while significant, are relatively small. The main issue is criminal guns, um, and the main way to solve that is fundamentally about uh, making sure that only people who have them responsibly have those. So that, again, to me, that's safes and permits, in short. So what is, do you think that poor rural folks should have access to guns? I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't ask if you think, because you'd probably say no, but like... <laughs> I, I, this is the, this is kind of like the voter ID thing. If we've got a second amendment right to self-defense, how do we make sure people can express that? And like gun safes are kind of expensive. Like, you know, if you get a big one, the store, you know, a, a modest collection, that's uh, easily going to be so, 500 to a thousand dollars plus the modifications that you have to make to your house too. Cause if you just put a safe in there and you don't like, you know, put, put, put it into the concrete or, or screw it down to studs, you're just making, yep. you know, it's just thievery with extra steps. Same thing with licensing. Who pays for that? Is that something that we can do? 
Um, so it, in my view, licensing should always be free because that's the kind of thing where the, the fee is relatively small. It's really paying a small number of bureaucrats. The state can handle those costs. You're talking about like a million dollars a year or something. That's okay. States have rounding errors that are a million dollars. The safes thing is a much bigger issue because one in three people in America have a gun in their household. Um, and I don't actually know if it's, I think it's one in five or direct gun owners and one in three have it in their household. But um, I, I could be wrong about the numbers there. Just about that air, that range. The point is, if it's one in three, it's 100 million people. 100 million people times even $500 is a lot of money, right? That's the size of the current stimulus we're doing right now. Um, so that's substantial. Um, I think the solution there might be a mixture of grandfathering in old guns, um, particularly long guns. Like uh, One of the things that we see is the vast majority of guns that are used in crime are not just stolen guns, but stolen handguns, small yeah. concealable weapons. Like, um, all so long guns are such a small issue. That's why it's incredibly frustrating when I see uh, people like Joe Biden spending, going, to, going to spend so much political capital trying to do like an assault, like a sub, a sub subcategory yes. of like long because assault weapons are like one percent of homicides or something. They're just such a small issue that, in terms of yes. actually materially benefiting people, it's focusing on handguns. That's, that's not actually to one say, of the things that that's that's not to say that like um you know when someone some some one goes in and shoots up a school that's not horrific and that people are not right to be up and yep. you know again another pun up in arms about the situation uh and i definitely you know i don't i don't want my child to be shot i don't want uh, armed guards at, at my child's school i want to get to a world where that's that's not um that's not something i have to worry about i just don't think that banning assault rifles i mean i i, I lived through the first assault rifle ban it, it it was enacted three months um after I turned 18 and I had mm-hmm. never bought an assault rifle in my entire life. And I went and a month before it came into effect, bought a, uh, uh, some Romanian SKS with 30 round clips galore. i made sure it had the bayonet oh, no. fit. I made sure it had the four stock. I had fuck you, Bill Clinton. I got that <laughs> thing. Uh, I had a lot of fun in, in rural Indiana cutting down trees with it. Um, really? But like, Oh my oh, god! Yeah. But but the thing is, oh yeah, like what we get up to in the sticks would would shock <laughs> most most city folks, and, and vice versa has been my <laughs> experience. Um, I don't doubt it. But like, I think that like those that's and the same thing's going to happen if we have a 2021 assault weapon ban. Like, a, 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 the sales of weapons are going to go through the fucking roof. We're going to flood, yeah. you know, a bunch of people that would otherwise not want one or have one are going to mm-hmm. go out and buy one. Now we're going to have 500 million guns in the United States instead of 360 million or however many it is. So on Uh, that note, my my second suggestion for how do we make sure that people still can have access to guns, particularly poor people, and it's not just rural, but poor rural and poor urban people, uh, if we think it's important that they have it constitutionally. And regardless of my personal opinions on it, I know that's the political reality of it, both in terms of what people believe and like the law. Um, Right, which is not nothing. (laughs) It ain't nothing. Uh, My basic suggestion is, so guns and indirect gun industry is worth around $50 billion in the United States. Direct gun industry industry is worth around $10 billion. My suggestion is we treat guns partly, partially the same way that we treat cigarettes, where over the past 50 years, states have slowly been increasing taxes on cigarettes. And we know that taxes on cigarettes have reduced usage, not just among the poor, but also among the rich. Um, And the suggestion is you impose some taxes on guns. That does mean less people access it. I totally get that. Um, Part of this is just about grandfathering in guns. So people who currently have guns, um, their guns are like fine. They aren't paying more money for it. But people who want new guns, they're now paying basically for the old guns. And then with those taxes, you could talk about a disbursement to pay and like subsidize gun safes. Um, That would be my my basic suggestion. It's not going to pay for all of it. 
And so the, 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 the broad summary, if I have to pitch my whole policy, it would be grandfather in guns, um, old guns for a little while, let's say 10, 20 years. So people have the time to big, build up the funds. Two would be grandfather in all long guns um, for some suitable definition of long guns. And three, do some taxes on gun safes to provide some subsidy for, um, sorry, do some taxes on guns to provide some subsidy for gun safes. Uh, it won't solve everything. It's not perfect. But because gun theft is such a big issue, I think that it will net benefit everyone to have fewer guns, even if it means some people can't get as many guns as they would have liked. Well, I conceptually, I don't have any problem with like, you know, I mean, I, I listened to your seven month old argument on gun uh, arguments with the gun control guy. Uh, just to kind of see where you're at with it. And that's the the thing that's like, you know, it is weird to treat something that you're guaranteed. I, I, here's another thing that I'm going to return to a piece of rhetoric. Sure. I think we have had a lot of our bill of rights um, rights whittled away, um, sure, especially totally. in the last last 30 to 50 years. And the Second Amendment, the one that kind of still has, you know, for for better or worse, uh, st- stayed up bright and shiny. Um, it's the most intact. I will agree with that. Yeah. In some ways, yeah. Um, we the people have a big bargaining chip. If we're going to give away another chunk of our freedom, and some people treat that freedom lightly, you know, some people treat a lot of freedoms lightly. The freedom to not mm-hmm. self-incriminate, for example. Um, but it's still a freedom that we have. I want to get something back. Like, for example, uh, trade Second Amendment rights and like be able to attack, put levy taxes on guns and all that kind of stuff for an immediate end on the war on drugs and mm-hmm. uh, dearmament of of the p- police forces. And not, not a total dearmament, but, but like go toward like a Great Britain style scheme where sure. uh, you have you know, your random bobbies on patrol do not have anything more than a baton and a radio. But they can call in, you know, if there's a hostage situation or people that, you know, uh, doing doing violence, you can call in the the I don't know, rock and roll is the, squad, the, right? the, the lock, stock and barrel guys, the, the snatchers, yeah. uh, whatever they call them. <laughs> over no, there and, I, and uh, bong lane. My favorite suggestion as it relates to policing is that um, American police look too cool, okay? We should force them to wear the same stuff that they wear over in England. A big yellow reflective vest, which just makes them look like um, look like uh, crossing guards, I mean, okay? Look, I, that's, I don't, I don't, I think that's, um, I, I will say that one thing that I think really um, irritates gun owners because it's a little bit too close to the truth is like banning like assault weapon bans are essentially bans on cool looking weapons and they're not Basically. not effective because i think a lot of the cash day especially with the mass shooters and stuff is just fucking getting strapped up and going like neo from the matrix or you know insert anti-hero from movie you know the punisher and just going and fucking dispensing some some pain and, and justice to people you yeah. think need it uh and if you make that less cool it is going to lose that cachet and that kind of mystique not that it's a you know in the grand scheme of things a significant problem but um and i saw like i i actually would support kind of cosmetic but like if you want to ban like polymer stocks and collapsible stocks and bayonet lug like i've kind of come around from my 18 year old days to like that actually makes some amount of sense because you lose none of the use none of the utility of a semi-automatic rifle in terms of military defense or, you know, uh, hunting mm-hmm. pest control when it has a walnut, walnut stock versus a, you know, tactical composite folding collapsing stock, you know, um, not well, really. This is, anyway. 
So I, I think I did get to say the police thing. Um, so I, I will totally agree that on the cosmetic stuff, um, that maybe changing the way the guns look and changing gun culture so that people aren't buying guns to look cool, um, maybe buying it for more utilitarian purposes or like cultural purposes. Um, I think that that could be a good shift. But obviously, like, I that, can't just do that. The state can't just be like, hey, American yeah. people, change your culture. I mean, um, I don't know. They, 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 like I said, they tried it back in 94 or whatever it was. But, but it like, it didn't work. And that, well, that's the thing. It's like because that's the thing. Um, I've seen so many people argue this, and they talk about like that. You know, like it's a empirical fact that the assault weapon bans had some kind of measurable impact on crime or even mass shooting. And the, the really big it, thing that they had an effect on was because they had this waiting period. The waiting period seems to be the number one thing associated with all the the, the 90s gun um, regulations. The waiting period was the number one thing that reduced crime. But it could yes. be that other things also reduce crime. So I'm yes. sorry for interrupting. Well, just, I was just going to say that, like, it, at best, the the evidence is extremely mixed. If you want to take, like, a broad empirical view of, like, what the assault weapons ban did in America, um it, it it really did do didn't didn't do much. Um, now you know you may you can make an argument that like it was only ten years, and obviously if that was a hundred year program, and you combine it with buybacks and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like that the, all those things are even less politically possible. Honestly, the the cosmet that and that's the thing. It's like I it's, it's I political can, capital, into, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I intellectually can get behind the cosmetic ban on guns, but like I know that's still going to be wildly unpopular with the people that. You know, the, these 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 people, these one or two percentage points we need to make real progress in this country. Um, and it's like the utility is like, you know, if it averts one out of five school shootings, but it takes us 50 years longer to get, um, you know, some some social safety net programs that will actually make measurable change. You know, the, the income inequality is yeah, it worth it's hard it? to make. It's really hard to make that calculus. So. Yeah. I, I do. I do basically agree with that. I, this is one of the reasons why I, I try to focus on supply side stuff. I don't want to have like police going to people's homes to police their safe. I don't want people going to into homes to like requisition old illegal guns. Um, no, honestly, agree. honestly, I think and this is part of like something I have all the time with when I talk conservatives and gun control. I'm like, if you guys don't want gun control, you got to fucking do something about safe gun storage and better permitting yep. and licensing and mental health, because y'all can't keep saying See how I throw into y'all when I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. Y'all can't keep saying, oh, it's a mental health problem. It's a mental health problem. Oh, it's a damn shame. It's a mental health problem. But then they don't fund mental health. And then don't fund mental health. Like people are waking up to fest. So you're going to lose your 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 easy access to freedom sticks if you don't do something about the other problem. And then on the left, no, I try right. to like say, hey, this is actually, you know, not evidence-based and it just inflames and riles people up for no good reason. And you're losing entire counties for generations when you do this stuff. And I you know, I'm all, I'm trying to put the brakes on both sides, but uh, I feel like this is I, I want this to kind of be an introduction to the gun control because uh, and I feel like it's doing a terrible job because we are we 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 efficiently move to the end game of gun control topics. Do you want to like maybe spend ten minutes talking about like utility of self, you know, just like the utility of self defense and sure um, foundational to stuff too? Because I also want to talk because I feel like you're one of the ones that are skeptical about the um, Second Amendment guaranteeing some kind of political freedom. In a philosophical yes. sense, too. Okay. Which, so which of those topics would you like that, to explore? I just want to do one last thing first. Um, okay. You mentioned about having like a, a bargain where like, hey, we will chip away at the Second Amendment. We'll restrict some types of gun ownership, like say handguns will require permitting, will require safes, right? All these, to some degree, are chipping away at your rights. Um, all I was going to recommend is there's a really neat book 
um, called The Narrow Corridor, which is by Darren Asimoglu, who is a big writer on the impact of institutions on like economic growth and political development. Um, so The Narrow Corridor, Asimoglu. One of his big ideas is that when um, that successful societies have generally followed a trend where as the state has gotten more powerful, they've also increased the power of like society, of civil society. And so one of my suggestions for all of these things, is I would like a lot of these things to be placed under democratic control. Let's say that we not, we like, as part of this gun policy, we merge all the federal institutions into one big gun agency. I'd like the gun agency to have democratically elected leadership so that now people have direct control over that. I would like there to be a bargain where these new groups can have exer- can exert power over gun policy directly to ensure that that bargain is like a genuine one where it's a societal society choosing gun policy rather than like being imposed from above. Um, that's the basic idea there. So I, we don't need to get too much into that, but I really like well, the book I mean, Narrow Corridor. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about it because I do feel like um, it's inevitable that the urban-rural divide is going to be won decisively in the favor of the urban because there's just going to be more and more people living there. Like, that's just the way of the future, man. It's mega cities. Um, it is moving there. You're right. However, you are going to need people to live in the rural areas and they're going to still have, like, a really strong attachments. And, like, I don't know how you just... I don't know, man. I I, I don't know what it that's looks why like I think to disarm the, the unilaterally. The rhetoric has to be not disarm. Even again, whatever I feel in my heart, the rhetoric can't be um, disarm. We're taking your guns away. Like screw your rights. Right. Um, it's got to be something like we want to get. We want to take handguns. We're not touching your long guns. We want to make sure we want to permit your guns and safe, make put your guns in safes so that criminals can't shoot you. So that you can protect yourself and other lawful citizens can protect yourself. The rhetoric all has to be about this idea of. Um, preserving your right to not all kinds of guns, but a huge variety of guns. Um, and like even tipping that into this idea of safety and like self-defense It's that you are better protected against the criminal. If that criminal doesn't have access to the guns because they're in your safe. Um, I, that's my take. I mean, but. yeah, you take out the ban on handguns in that statement and I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but, uh, so, so, well, so I guess then to pivot to what you were talking about just a moment ago, which is the self-defense argument or the like political self-defense argument, the like rights protection argument. Mm-hmm. And on this one, um, I, this is something people get very heated about. And it's unfortunate because there isn't great quality empirical evidence, but generally the empirical evidence I've seen on this doesn't lean in favor of guns being a really big deal for protecting people individually for self-defense or for people protecting their rights like collectively. Um, so the, the, the for example, one study I like to cite a lot is is by Chenoweth and Stefan. Um, it's called uh, Why Mass Resistance Works. I think I might be getting the title wrong. It's the strategic uh, logic of nonviolent resistance. And they, they advocate this thesis using an empirical data set of violent and nonviolent mass resistance. And they generally found that nonviolent mass resistance was substantially like two to three times more successful um, than violent resistance. And this was true I'm in a wide variety of regimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem with that, because I've read the counter arguments to it, and it seems to indicate that like a lot of the peaceful, nonviolent resistance movements work because mm-hmm. there is the stick of a much radical, well-armed uh, wing of that same party. Like, for example, Gandhi is able to get, you know, uh, independence mm-hmm. for Britain because you had various paramilitary organizations running around, blowing shit up and, and, and killing, executing people and like. Uh, and this is also in our civil rights here in the United States. Like if you didn't have, you know, Black Panther Party uh, marching, organizing, uh, showing up at capitals with guns, you know, you, 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 you put white people into the horns of a dilemma. Like, do you want to give people some basic fucking civil rights 
Or do you want like your cities to burn because people are denied those rights and reluctantly they like, okay, I'll hold our nose and give people their fucking and, basic civil rights. And I feel like, I feel like absent that threat, a lot of these studies would show that like, uh, you know, the people in power just, just continue to ignore the people who are nonviolently resisting them. What do you the, think about the, that? The basic problem is this is why I say it's hard to do the empirical research is that virtually every peaceful movement in history is also going to have some violence associated with it. There's going to be some violence Certainly. of that. Yeah. And so what you'd, what you'd really want is some abstract metric, which is like, what is the strength of the, no, the nonviolent movement versus the strength of the violent movement? And how do those relate? Like, is it possible you have a really weak nonviolent movement and a really strong violent? Does that work? Um, or does it need to be really strong nonviolent and can even or, a weak violent movement be sufficient? Is there so someone in chat? We just don't have that data sorry go ahead I'm so, yeah and that, that's the thing it's, it's tough and it's it's hard to do you know like what do you just that you, you can't engineer experiments to test it right um but i, I there's some people in chat <laughs> let's just do a master's since tomorrow just to find out right yeah like there's just people to, in chat mentioning that like oh maybe you have to have a mixture of violent I, i'm not saying that you have to have a mixture of violent or not there's like a magic formula but like it's the, the threat, threat right? that exactly mm-hmm. Like just like um, just people agitating uh, towards stuff is. uh, And I also think that empirically, if we look at like what happened this last summer, you look at crowds that were nonviolently peacefully, you know, um, redressing their government. And you look at both like uh, crazy right wingers protesting masks. And, you know, there was several well armed, uh, organized uh, marches by. uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, uh, all in like fatigues with scary looking assault weapons, marching mm-hmm. lockstep through white neighborhoods, and they were not fucked with. They did not have tear gas used on them. They did not have people coming out and taking pot shots and stuff. I think that like there was, I, I think there was very little like political violence from the left, and you know this year, all all things said and done. But the threat is definitely there, and absent that threat, I just don't know to what extent so, the the government is responsive to to those uh, concerns what you're talking about i can't i can never remember the name for this this is this is a theory in sociological research that um any successful mass movement that is nonviolent has to have a violent component so this this is like a theory i was taught it in fucking intro um sorry i don't know if i can swear on your show in uh in hacking yeah uh, absolutely (laughs) in hacking introductory sociology in like my first year's undergrad so this is not like a, a far out idea um one of the things that moved me away from this idea was this really neat study posted by david shore and i'll post it in dms if you want to read it later um which is called agenda seeding and it's basic i'm sorry for a whole bunch of graphs probably just appeared on your screen um so this study was really interesting and i won't get too much into the methodology because it's complicated they use something called instrumental variables which is a way to try and demonstrate causation so it's not just correlation it's an attempt um, and you can question whether it's successful but it's an attempt to demonstrate causation um, of the effect of nonviolent protests and violent protests and by nonviolent and violent they aren't talking about police response because often the police were very violent um, mm-hmm. but they're talking about Specifically, in 1968, after Martin Luther King was assassinated, whether the protesters uh, started violence and whether the protesters were generally violent or whether they did not start violence and were mostly the recipients of violence or not recipients of any violence whatsoever. And so in this data set, um, they found that the nonviolent protests move people about two points towards the Democratic side and the violent ones move people about two points to the Republican side. So obviously that's is not like the, the main effect we're interested in here is like, did they get civil rights? Um, right. Which is not something that was just, just where I was going to move next to like, you see that all the time. Like it's uh, people find it distasteful. Like it's much, 
much better look for poli- jackbooted police to be brutalizing, you know, well-dressed, orderly, uh, peaceful people than it is, you know, a leftist bombing a recruiting station or whatever, you know. Um, and, and that said, whole, sorry, <laughs> that said, like, what is more, you know, politically effective as far as like, you know, um, because if the bombings continue, you know, like that, that has a way it's, to bring bringing people to the table. It, it's really hard to estimate that in part just because mm-hmm. bombings are rare events, um, like passage of civil rights laws are really rare events. And so it's hard to prove these sorts of things The the reason why I quite like this one is they looked at a lot of um, protests. I think it was like 150 because a whole lot of places protested either violently or nonviolently after MLK was shot. And then they had um, about a year later, pretty directly the effect on an election, which is also something that you can measure pretty concretely. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not the same thing as measuring. Did they get civil rights? It's just measuring how did people's opinions shift a year later basically and you know the other thing is like i find that like a lot uh is like could some of that be cured by messaging like one of the things i tried to do real hard this summer is when i Mm -hmm. had my friends and relatives like getting up in arms about the violence among the left uh is just kind of like you know reality checking like well how much violence are we Mm -hmm. talking about also you know like when when how so like how you you saw like some of these right wing folks immediately going to occupying state houses on you know right. the issue of whether they should have to wear masks like we're talking about hundreds of years of injustice that they're trying to be uh, addressed and you know we've been talking about police violence against uh, minorities for a long long time like it's shocking I'd rewatched a Bullworth for some stupid reason like six months ago and that was like one of the big things in that movie like the fact that like cops are you know because you got Rodney King and this is these are cycles that continue uh, to happen so like how long do do people how long are people supposed to peacefully redress the government and the government keeps like saying meh meh eh and then you know you set a block on fire and suddenly the cameras all come like I I'm so, just trying to like try to help people understand like this is a process. If you don't want the the relatively mild violence, then take care of the things that the, the, the people are concerned with. You know the valid concerns they have, and that leads so, you into. You sorry, know, I keep that, no that, that that leads you back to data and, and empiricism versus just like people's like gut feelings about violence. Well, so like, and that's, that's what I'm why. Saying. That's why the the whole reason this study is called agenda seeding is because they're agreeing with you that it is all about messaging. Um, They're suggesting that when their protesters were nonviolent, it was much easier to seed the agenda in the media, that these protesters are being brutalized by the police, they're being denied their civil rights, and so it's easier to shift opinion. Um, And so shifting opinion, it's not the same thing as actually achieving civil rights. I will, like, I'll totally agree with that. It's just something that's easier to measure. So It's it's also something that you... um, the individuals have no control over. Like if I show up at a protest and it turns violent, I did. I don't want that to happen, but it's happening. Um, That's one of the relevant questions is, is it, is a, is a flaw of the black lives matter movement, for example, that it is decentralized and therefore it allows more violence because some protests might be unruly. Um, Would it have been better to have something? So like one of the things that this study also mentions is that during the civil rights movement, generally the leaders of the civil rights movement were pretty principled about their messaging. So for example, one of the interesting things, and I'd never thought about this is that um, MLK and the other big leaders of the movements, whenever they're talking about civil rights, they consistently talk about voting and housing and schooling, but they never talked about marriage. And that's because marriage was something people were really, really icky about. People don't like interracial marriage, um, especially back then. People today are much better about it. 90% of people today like interracial marriage. Back then, it was like 2%. 
Um, they didn't talk about the issues that were really unpopular and that appealed to people's like intuitive disgust senses. Instead, they appealed to the stuff where they could portray themselves basically and correctly as victims of an unjust system. And so I think that there is, this is called message discipline. It's that possibly having a more centralized movement with more disciplined messaging, which as you note, focuses extensively on the nonviolent protest, on the, on the facts of the matter, on the repression by the police, that these things are more effective at changing people's minds. And so again, I can't prove empirically that this works, but it does seem like that, that strategy was overall successful. That's why those leaders rose up. Um, and that's what this like agenda seating study seems to suggest, but that's the, yeah, the limit of what I, I can say. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, um, I don't even, cause you know, you had a lot of competing ideas of how to get civil rights back in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And, and, and uh, you had very, you know, undecentralized, I guess, uh, protest and stuff. And you still had limited utility of keeping things from getting violent. And then you also sure. had, you also had counter narratives about who was causing the violence and who was justified mm-hmm. the violence and all that. And it's like, you know, it, it feels of- a little bit like a shell game in that, you know, um, because I guess, I guess I would like to see some kind of analysis of a purely nonviolent movement that has accomplished something in the history of mankind. Because the ones that I've looked like in that study you cited earlier, it's like every single one of those had a violent uh, it involves r- some violent wing. Yeah. yeah, like it may, it may be the, the leader. And, and, and that even like in an Overton window away allowed the leader of the nonviolent movement to have political capital because it's like I disavow these people are violence and I just want my, you know, it's there's there's it's it's, it's like it's an possible. inevitable state of affairs where some people are going to get fed up and go and be violent because like they just hit their limit. And that will get that to the extent that the uh, grievances remain un, unaddressed, that will get more and more cachet with people. Um, and then the nonviolent methods will get less and less cachet. And, you know, eventually, if it goes long enough, you get like full full scale revolutions and shit. But um, I, I, I like I said, I just I have never, ever seen um, now. Do, the, the question is, do you need. You know, AK 47s, AR 15s to have that credible violent threat. That's a more interesting question. But, you know, in the Second Amendment, we have a guaranteed right to, uh, you know, to, 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 to possess these weapons uh, for the stated purpose of, you know, um, resisting government oppression. So, like, if, so it, if, this if, is if, if it's those... all up for debate, I'm going to go with, like, well, if we're going to change it, we really need something. We need to do something with the Second Amendment. And that's just so much political capital. I don't see how it gets done. So uh, this is one of those issues where I can't just close off because I've got the killer empirical study that's just going to close the door and there's only one right way to read it. This is like history is complicated. Mass movements are complicated. Politics is complicated. And we just don't have the data to prove this kind of stuff. Uh Um, One, if I have to appeal to one other study, which I, which influenced my thought on this one, it's actually the tea party. Um, one of the things that we know from Chenoweth and Stefan is that nonviolent movements, meaning movements that are more nonviolent than violent um, generally, or that don't hit some limit of violence, like a thousand dead people, I think is one of the, the is one of the limits that they hit, and beyond that, it starts to become violent. Um, when you have more limited nonviolent, more limited violence, more nonviolent movement, more people join. Um, it's very easy to understand why more people are mm-hmm. willing to march and more I people are willing that. to like advocate for their rights. Um, then are people to like, pick up arms or people to like cause harm to another human being. People just don't sure. like that. And people are scared of that. So one of the things that was really interesting in this tea party study is it found that, um, for every 0.1% 
of the population. So in any additional one in 1000 people in a given state who attended a Tea Party protest, which I think was between 2009 and 2010, there was an additional Republican vote increase by 1.9%. So that means that if one in 1000 people went to a Tea Party vote, then 19 in 1000 voted for the Republican Party. One of the suggestions is that big nonviolent mass movements, in addition to agenda seeding, can also change people's views just by going there, just by being part of the movement. You are radicalizing people to support your view. So one of the risks of a more violent movement is that less people will join, less people will be committed to the movement, and less will actually follow through. It's hard to to know this for sure, but this is one of my suggestions for the strength of more nonviolent movements. Well, again, I come back to the thing that like you don't that's all well and good, but you don't have control over what people become violent or not. And also the Tea Party protests were pretty heated in the rhetoric of what they were going to do to tyrants and the refreshing of the blood of and they sure. were, you know, armed and you know, showing to be clear, up nonviolent here doesn't then. mean like nice and they're putting on their bow tie and they're going to talk to Mr. Yeah, Obama and like, shake his hands or whatever. It it just means they didn't kill a lot of people, basically. Yeah. And so. like, you know, but like that doesn't say anything about like because, uh, again, those protests were accompanied by, you know, pretty radical rhetoric and, and the threat of force. Like uh, sure. it's just that they immediately got their way. Like the Tea Party is, you know, the trans there's a transformational change in, in Republican politics. Um, sure. You know, if. Uh, black folk in this country um, or Latinos or any oppressed minority, gay people, trans people uh, showed up, to, you know, a hundred thousand strong with assault rifles. Shit, man, maybe things would, would, would get done a hell of a lot faster. Um, it doesn't mean they need to be violent. It's just the like, you know, uh, that that's 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 a that's a credible threat of people. But, but I, I take your meaning like the second. Um, but I don't understand because also I don't take your meaning because well, <laughs> uh, if you it, like if you have a protest where you're standing arm in arm with people that have like assault rifles and whatnot, and you're all asking for the same thing, like mm-hmm. that is, I don't like, I, I, I get that. Like if actually sh- people so, started getting shot, that would probably turn down his recruitment, but it didn't seem the, the, the threat of force and the presence of guns didn't seem to slow down the tea party's m- movement. So one of the suggestions is that the threat of using violence might not be the same thing as actually fearing violence being done upon you. One of the things we were talking about is how once you actually become violent, the state is very much more willing to use oppression against you, both because of optic reasons and because like it, it's the state. One of its duties is to like protect itself. And mm-hmm. so people in the state often think of it that way. So even... Um, was it Cliven Bundy or Ted Bundy? I want to say that there was like the, the time that a bunch of right wingers took control of this one like national park or something and they got shot. Like two, I think two or three, like one or two people died as a result sure. of that. And so um, I think that there's a big difference between holding up your AR and like rattling it around, kind of like saber rattling um, and being like, we're going to, we're going to take out the tyrants. We're going to tar and feather them. There's a big difference between that and actually going out and doing it in such a way that it puts you at risk, that it actually puts you at risk of, of pushback. But if you didn't um, have the assault rifle to rattle, I mean, it's maybe like, it so wouldn't. So on so, that one, the last so, thing that I wanted to say is you were talking a little bit about like how many people need to have guns for this to matter. And one of the things is, is it's possible that without as many people having guns with something like even community armories, which is something some leftists like, like this idea of maybe not right. individual gun ownership, but having like a, there's, there's a store down in the center of town, Bob Every runs it. And he has, community, like, uh, has some kind yeah. of like uh, national guard armory that in times. Basically. Of civil, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
it's possible that a model like that could still allow the people to have power if power needs to be exercised with violence. Um, so it's possible that a shift from a more personal ownership to a more like community depot of guns um, ownership could genuinely influence, um, could still allow this genuine influence of politics. Uh, so, it's possible, but, but then really we're going, yeah, and we're going back to like, well, it seems like there's not a lot of like strong evidence pointing either way. It's going to take a huge amount of political capital to, you know, even get like something like community arms, like, which I don't know, you might have a shot at that. Like, oh, hey, you know what? We are going to form this well-regulated militia that we're mm-hmm. all talking about. And, uh, you know, as a, as a part that we're going to pass democratically within our state, we're going to give up our individual right for this collective right that's organized by each county or community or whatever. And. Like, I, I don't know, maybe now, you would, but like, it's still a hell of a lot. It's a hell of a conversation and a lot of political capital. Uh, and I don't feel like we've got that to go around. Well, uh, to reach all the way back, you were asking, what do we do about poor people who want guns? And one of the things that I didn't mention, which is, is this, what I'm literally mentioning right now, is the suggestion of instead of you individually having to buy, to buy a safe, now there's like an institution which has the really big gun safe, and so they can buy it in bulk, they can store it in bulk, they don't have to deal with all the issues that you individually do. That sort of thing could be a way to allow people access to guns, um, both for recreational and possibly political uses, um, without some of the personal costs. I think also, the I talked a little bit about the narrow corridor and giving more power to the people i think again there's this argument that if you want to give people the 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 idea that they have the right to resist the government even with like the rattling of guns and possibly the use of guns that this sort of community ownership could be a way to foster that um that'd be the 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 analogy i draw there yeah i'm just like you know i just i hate to sound like a broken record but like i can like i said i can see that it's really hard to do if I got uh, the the white, you know, like the hypothetical Wyoming farmer who's worried that the coyotes are going to come poach his sheep and, and kill his dogs or, you know, I got 30 to 50 feral pigs charging through my yard. Uh, <laughs> like I could kids is like the could the community like permalone the people to live in the rural like assault rifles and stuff so they can, you know, like and they can sign it out and like they can it can be. Uh, but I just feel like that, like, man, so much more could be done in terms of just taking care of people so that. Things are not so desperate uh, legalizing drugs. So you don't, you know, the vast majority of the gun deaths in the United States are directly uh, uh, respond are directly as the result of the war on drugs. And not only that, but whatever yeah. we have, whatever we visit on our country and within our borders is visited a hundred times in our, in our neighbors. And yeah, no, there's South an insane amount of police violence in like other countries, right? It's, like police brutality in the United States pales in comparison to police I brutality in Brazil. Gang right? violence and all that kind of stuff. It's just True. like, you know, like that we, they are paying, you know, 10 times what we are for our own insane policies. So like, you know, like sure. why would we go after one of the symptoms of the cause, which is gun violence, when we could attack the root, which is also very broad, way more popular, like, you know, legalization of all drugs, it's probably is roughly about as unpopular as like banning all guns, but like, you know, more sensible, you know, decriminalization and, and funneling towards treatment and things like that, especially after the opioid a- epidemic kind of brought, you know, the on that the, note, prop, um, the problems you of drug use that, to rural America. Sorry, I was just going to say on that note, did you see that Oregon actually decriminalized? Um, I don't know if it's all drugs or just like a very big subset of drugs in their recent referendum. Yes. How about that for the laboratory of democracy? <laughs> well, I think it's going to be really interesting, right? Colorado was some of the test case for legalization of marijuana. It seemed to turn out fine, and a whole bunch of other states followed suit. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next five, ten years. I really hope, I pray, that Oregon is a good test case, um, yeah. and then it can be adopted by other people. 
And even um, if it's not like, you know, we've got, we got, you know, like uh, there, there might be other things we can try, but like, we've already, we, we've got the results from the war on drugs. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's not much hard to do better than that. Yeah. Fair yeah. Point. Yeah. 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 So like, um, and I, I think of like other things that like, um, cause it's going to be a tough sell. Like I, God, I, I sometimes wonder like, you know, what the utility of like, um, some of these like public service messages. Cause I think some of those could be effective because it's hard to like, just require people to like, Hey, you got to buy a, a safe. But like, if mm-hmm. we started changing like the, where it's like, um, and man, some of this is the NRA. Cause like when, Yep. Uh, the NRA really changed its mission in the last 30 years, but it used to be amongst gun, like, gun owners. There was, and it still is, honestly, uh, you know, when you go to ranges and stuff like gun safety, they don't fuck around with it. You yeah. know, like I've never felt in danger at a, uh, at a, at a rifle range because there are clear rules. Everyone's following. If there's even a hint of someone taking them lax, they are, you're out. Uh, you know, you're out. And, and that's that like, and, and you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get sympathy from the most right wingy, gun nut you know if you're mm-hmm. violating the four basic fire s- uh, safety rules at, at a gun range but like you know normalizing things like um hey i'm going through a depressive or uh, episode i have guns uh, i want to go to my buddy or my brother or my dad and i want to leave these guns with him until i can you mm-hmm. know I, I you know because like that's something that we should do to take care of ourselves and take care of our families um well, i think so, some of that has to and, do and like cult- Sorry. And, and like encouraging to get like, hey, you know what? Gun safes are uh, to protect your family. And I, and I just someone in chat, like when we first started talking about like, you're right. I don't think you'd ever get like um, people who are into guns for self-defense to like put all their guns in some kind of locked thing in the basement that they'd have to trip down three flights of stairs or I guess they're living no. in a mansion at that point. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, something like, hey, if you want to keep a gun in your nightstand with a trigger, like a really effective trigger lock on it, and then the the, the rest of your guns, you know, the shit hits the fan guns or break in case of tyranny guns in the basement, yep. that's a nice compromise. And is it something you can do legally or is it something you could push through gun culture to where it's like it's gauche to mention at the range? Like, I just sleep with it underneath my pillow. I sleep mm-hmm. with the round chambered and the hammer cocked and the, like, if you mm-hmm. just like, dude, that's gross. Like, you can change the gun culture a lot easier than, you know, having Joe Biden up there. Go, I'm going to ban assault rifles. And, you know, now that that seems it's it's a bottom up approach than a top the, rather than a top down. And I think it would be a lot. It'd be really effective. And that's something I'm trying to well, do as a responsible gun owner. You know, and I, I totally support that. This is one of those things like when we we're talking about violent versus nonviolent protests, the unfortunate problem is no one has the control of how the protests work. It's not like the one guy is deciding, oh, are we going to flip the nonviolent switch or the violent switch today? It's uh, culture is like this living, breathing organism that a million people have control over. Um, yeah. You know, like 300 million people, really. And um, the, the ba- I, I'm basically just trying to say, like, I totally agree. This is one of those slow things that I can't personally change. And I would hope one of the things that I do think is a little bit interesting is the rise of like, what is it? The Socialist Rifle Association and some left wing rifle associations. Yep. I hope that those can breach into that sort of culture. They can say, hey, I love guns, but I also love gun safety. And they can try and change that. I would be really interested to see if that can change those trends. Um, but again, that's like a 20, 30 year down the road sort of thing. The one of the questions is, what can we do now? And as you were noting, solutions for communities today are really, really popular. And I would also just note a lot of these like short-term and small-ish gun control proposals are relatively popular. Um, permits are a little bit less popular, but just universal background checks, very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of stuff on those lines um, could also help to change the culture. We know that when you change policy, it also changes people's um, – it, it literally changes how people think about things. Um, another yeah, there's a lot of people that just won't do things that are against the law. They just won't. Yeah. You know? 
No, like modifying yes. modifying a semi-automatic rifle to be an automatic rifle is ridiculously easy. It's never done. It's never done. Yep. Because people don't like, you know, the idea of toting around a fucking machine gun and getting like the off chance it's you're going to get pulled over and do some serious federal time. Uh, if you got cut, it's just not worth it. You know, like either, you know, uh, if you're rich, uh, wait, get a corporation, wait two years, pay $15,000 for a machine gun and do it the right way or just fucking, you know, pull the thing, your, your trigger faster. Um, so like it's, it's, yeah. it absolutely like people like bitch and moan about it, but like it, I think, think that's one of the reasons that the, the gun control antagonists, <laughs> The pro-gun mm-hmm. lobby are so fearful of any regulation because it's so easy to see that, like, you know, every little bit that you cramp down is going to peel off numbers of gun owners and it's going to be less political strength for them. I mean, I think that's all reactionary bullshit. I think it's, like, all, it's less political strength. But one of the other things that's so clear about, like, the NRA is they get a lot of money from the gun lobby. And I think they're also just thinking in terms of sales. They aren't necessarily just thinking about, like, who, how many people own guns, but it's also how many guns are they going to buy. So each restriction, all of these restrictions, increases of cost of guns, like safes, um, they really aren't going to like that kind of stuff. I totally will agree there that those are, are very disagreed on. So, having said all this, are you mm-hmm. going to continue to advocate for assault weapons bans? Because oh, I, like, I, I don't I, think I, I've okay. Because I thought I, I thought I saw. I don't know. Maybe just you like uh, doing a request for debates on this stuff was like uh, you just trying to sharpen yourself, or like I, I thought I saw that you were kind of like pro a lot of that stuff. I, I generally I just think it's incredibly. On... I just think it's incredibly destructive to the left movement. Um, to to do things that unpopular and those that unfeasible and th- that dubious to in, in favor of other things that we could use our political capital on. The, the things that I try to focus on are um, simple things for the government to administer that doesn't require a big intrusion into people's liberty and that has a big outcome. And so assault weapons for all of their cons and all of their pros are just not a very significant impact on crime. The, yes. the, biggest thing that hurts people in terms of crime and also in terms of suicide is handguns. Um, so for me, the goal is always going to be about handguns. And in turn, what's solid, like what's reduces handgun crime? Um, we know that waiting periods tend to reduce it. We know that like stuff like permitting and um, universal background checks reduce it. We know I that support storage that. reduces it. Yeah, I so. support. Uh, I, I, I don't support permitting only because it is such a touchy thing. It is like it does seem like it is you know, uh, the, the first, it, it, it would be the logical first step towards a, a universal gun grab, right? Like if you have to register yeah. every firearm, you need a list, right? You need a list of all the guns to go right. grab them. Right. Totally um, agree. On the other hand, like, I think if, when I talk to my, uh, um, uh, conservative, um, people at the range, I try to be like, come on, like, what's your proposal? Uh, there's going to be some, the ATF is going to come and confiscate 370 million rifles in this, in the, in a night, like some kind of reverse demented Santa Claus, like, you know, like what <laughs> would that down actually the chimney, grab look your guns like? To go back what, up. what would that actually look like? And there's so many like, uh, ways to defeat it. Like, uh, I just, I dry, you know, the, the old, I dropped my, ri- I, I was I had all my shotguns and a fucking boat and the boat sank and what are you going to do? I, I get capsized. Yeah, there's so many ways to get around that. That uh, um, the, yeah, I, I just like I said, I, I just think the assault weapons. But it's it was so fucking frustrating to see late in the election Biden trot that out. Um, 
Mm. Well, and so part right. of the reason for that, unfortunately, is that among like Democratic voters in particular, it's very easy to tout out the, these sort of like, to me, they're basically cosmetic stuff. Like you're talking about stuff that's on the fringe of the issues, but that people have a very visceral negative reaction to, particularly among Democrats. People don't like assault weapons. They're big and they're scary. But those just don't matter. Um, right. like the, the meat of the issue has to be more of this like um, changing access to guns, changing culture about guns, changing gun safety sort of things. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and I, I also am not big on a, a ban of handguns because, again, I do think our handgun crime would drop in line with other countries if we got rid of the war on drugs. I absolutely do. And I think our suicide, we'd have a big chunk of that uh, taken care of if uh, we have waiting day, if we have waiting periods and if we uh, actually seriously take care of mental health and health care. And, you know, and beyond that, just improve, you know, uh, make it not so desperate and fucking uh, um, uh, the evolution guy. Who's the guy that this guy Darwin make it less so less Darwin out there so people can like mm-hmm. just fucking chill. Um, so my I, my suggestion is not handgun ban in, in case that's been clear. Like maybe again, maybe in my heart, like a, a million years from now, I would like to see no handguns. But what I'd actually like to see is basically taxes on handguns and a lot of what you're talking about, waiting periods and permits, which again, I know is touchy as well, but it's mostly about trying to make sure that people get handguns when they're of good mind and making sure that the people of good mind keep those handguns without letting them fall into the hands of other people. Those, that's the way that I think about these things. Um, yeah. And so, I, I just like, I would just try to focus on what is politically, what is popular and politically effective right now. And then, you know, use a little bit of political capital to get that stuff done. But def- like if, if we do this and don't get like, univer- you know, some kind of universal public option, mental health care, it's actually effective because that's the other thing is like it's kind of hard, as I found this year, to get quality mental health if you have good insurance in certain parts of this country because it's a supply. Yeah. Like you, yeah, there's I, a really I, low supply of. You, 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 and if you're depressed, calling 20 people uh, on your insurance list that are close to you and have them say, "Oh, I'm booked up. I'm not taking new pet." Like it, it really, sucks. it really, it, sucks. it really is a soul sucking enterprise. So, like, if we ban assault weapons and handguns, and we still have people wanting to die, I won't feel like that's a very, especially since there's so many guns. It's so pathetically easy to get a gun in this country for those reasons. You're always going to have a bigger bang for your buck. By directly helping people, uh, the reason why they're depressed, the reason why they want to take their lives. What are those reasons? Can we reduce that? And and why are people shooting each other in the streets? Oh, it's the drug trade and the black market nature of that, and you know the uh, like the, the the essentially capitalism at its most ruthless. Let's just eliminate that incentive. Um, and I think that's the that's where the the majority of the empirical evidence. And I know other countries have done it differently, but other countries, mm-hmm. the, the difference between us and Australia is the number of guns that we have. And the fact that yeah, it's, gun ownership is enshrined quote unquote in the constitution. And that private individual right has been affirmed by so many Supreme court cases. And it's in, and you know, uh, you know, uh, with respect to our previous conversation we had on court packing, yeah, we're a lot of judicial for reform away from that ever being different. Like, yeah. you know, and and that's another huge amount of political capital we'd have to spend. So just like, you know, and I've seen some people in chat having some pretty, uh, you know, pr- pretty reactionary, wrongheaded takes, in my opinion, on, on, on guns. And they don't seem like they maybe live in this country. But I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> this is not be- like this is a weird American exceptionalism in reverse. Like, we literally can't do some things that Australia did because we don't have well, the money. We, the, the, the buying back every gun in america like it's no one would take that offer and number two the it would cost so much fucking money i did i remember doing the 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 well, math it's, if, if, 
if the average gun is $600, right, the cost of buying back guns for for a third of the country, right, that has yeah. that has guns, if you bought one gun back from that, it'd be a third the cost of the current bill, which is, it, it's enormous, right? It's yes. an enormous amount of money. And I like um, if, 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 like, municipalities want to do that, like, I support that all day long, like, you know, if uh, you know, states and, and cities want to have gun buyback programs that targets to take guns off the street, that's, like, incredibly effective and stuff. I just, you know, I, you know, I know that you and I kind of agree broadly that we want to have... Uh, the most effective uh we want to make as swift progress as, as, as possible and we want it to be effective we want it to be evidence-based and i just feel like uh assault weapons bans and that kind of stuff are just not where it's at right now and it might be no, like, you know, a hundred years from now um if we continue to make people's lives better and you know we we have a more of a utopian society it's a more of a star trek deal like a lot of i think a lot of the uh heat behind these arguments will the, the, the will, will drop eventually just like you know we don't have gunfight well I guess we do have gunfights in the streets of America, but not over like honor and shit. Like it's it's not like the OK Corral and things like that. Uh, we have made progress in a hundred years as a more civil society, and I think we'll continue to do that. But like just going out and, and banning scary looking guns is going to turn a lot of people who are otherwise interested in our message off for p- potentially a generation, which is stupid and silly and reactionary. It's also the truth. Sure. I totally agree. Um Let's see. Minor thing. This isn't about guns directly. One of the things that's really interesting as it relates to the supply of doctors in the United States is basically um, it's a success story of unions. Oddly enough, Um, the American Medical Association, which is fundamentally a really big union of doctors, Mm -hmm. um, limits the amount of people who can get new medical licenses, not necessarily directly through limitations of how many people can go to medical school. That's actually been going up over time. It's mostly through encouraging the government to limit um, funding of residencies because funding of residencies is like 95% public that the private sector just can't pay enough to build new doctors, as it were, to produce new doctors. And so So the government doesn't pay enough to build new doctors. So there aren't enough doctors. So doctors are really, really expensive. So similar to housing doctors, subsidize them. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, there's, there's a a lot we can do. Like, it seems like there's a lot of problems in the country that are on the supply side. You know, we just don't have enough houses. We don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough therapists. We don't have enough social workers. um, Yeah. You need to supply them because we're spending a ton of money. Uh, yeah, like, listen, a, we're we're spending a ton of money on police budgets, and most of that is a is a result of the black market drug trade. I fundamentally agree. I last thing stat that blew my mind: um, of lawyers in the United States, one percent are related to like public defense. Um, like it's an incredibly small number. The vast majority of lawyers, and it's just because there isn't enough money for public defense. The vast majority of lawyers are involved in private law. Um, the stat that also blew my mind is a total government spending, like local, state, and federal, um, for public assistance, um, for you know public defenders, basically, is as around ten billion dollars. Um, Mo- J.P. Morgan Chase spends three billion dollars a year, one company alone, on law. Right, um, so a third of the entire government budget on public defense is spent by one company making like litigation for money purposes uh, it's just an ungodly amount of money so I, I basically agree with a whole lot of issues here that american society doesn't spend nearly enough money trying to subsidize things that will make people's lives better very much agree damn i thought we'd get this done in like a half hour and we could talk about vegan stuff and and uh, <laughs> you don't want to talk about vegan stuff okay then i'm gonna actually crush you uh maybe i don't know you're dealing with the guy who grew up on a rural farm i've actually butchered animals uh 
I got, I got, I got some insights. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I not, I'm not opposed to like I, I started off pretty knee jerk uh, meat eater, and uh, I've moved to. I say I'm, I'm probably maybe not in the last few weeks because I, I got weak and had a big Christmas ham, and of course you had to take mm-hmm. turkey. But like I, I've cut out easy 75, 80 percent of my meat and 100 percent, near 100 percent of my milk consumption in the last five years because I was persuaded that it's just incredibly bad for the environment and it's, wasteful the, and the environmental harms are the main argument. One of the things I constantly stress, and it sounds like you've been you've been doing this, is. Um, we have a whole lot of research that when people do a diet, either as a fad and kind of all at once, um, then they're very likely to leave it. There's a very high rate of people who become vegans and then leave vegans. It's around 80%. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Um, it's really tough. It, it is I, tough. My suggestion is always do it as you're doing steps. Take mm-hmm. one product like milk, like beef, just eliminate it for a month. See how meaningfully your life has changed. And if you're basically fine, keep it up. Um, oat do milk. it in steps. Try yeah. oat milk, everybody. Oat milk is the end game for 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 milk substitutes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I I, I, just, I can't see myself ever going 100 percent vegan, um, but I also think that we're probably within a generation or two of. Um, you wouldn't have any opposition to lab grown meat, right? There like, was actually a really neat study on that. Not study. Um, one of the first, I forget exactly what it was the first on. There was a lab in, I want to say, Hong Kong, which finally produced like a big sample of um, commercially ready um, chicken. And I just liked its name because it, it's called a bioreactor. So it was called bioreactor chicken, which just sounds like something out of a dystopia, but also sounds a little bit cool. So I'm, I'm ready to shout down. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you have a less? It's like, what was like the McPlant? Like, this is like your McDonald's unveiled its uh, veggie burger and it's called the McPlant. I'm like, do you even fucking want to sell these things? <laughs> it's it's pretty embarrassing, but we um, need to have it, we need to have like the old Folger commercials where it's like we've secretly replaced this Burger King's worth of people uh, with impossible Whoppers. Let's see if they can mm-hmm. tell the difference, because I bet nine out of ten people, especially if you didn't prompt them, would not be able to detect an, an, an impossible Whopper from a Whopper. Like I would I actually I kind of want to do I, I was thinking about doing this like it just uh, <laughs> they get like a, a stream thing when the when the uh, fucking pandemic is over and get like 10 of my friends over go here on and the not tell them and and well I was just going to yeah. go with friends and family because that'd be you know fun That's and, easier yeah. and easy to clear the <laughs> using their face on the internet but just be like yeah like I here here's a here's an impo- here's an impossible whopper here's a whopper a block complete blind test and see like how many people can detect it because yeah nice. uh, it's it's getting to be a solved problem honestly well, and the other thing that's really interesting is um, lab-grown meat is a lot cheaper than, or it's not is, but it's projected to be substantially cheaper than meat meat um, mm-hmm. because uh, meat is so environmentally um, destructive. Yeah. And the reason it's so environmentally destructive is because it consumes an ungodly amount of food. About half of food in the world produced goes to animals. If and you don't have to do that, you just, yeah, no, it's, it's a huge amount of water, huge amount of land, huge amount of food. Um, and if you don't have to deal with that, if you're just growing basically like an enormous chicken muscle in a big vat in the middle of the city, um, those costs are substantially lower. So um, it's possible that whether you like it or not, your meat will soon be bioreactor meat. I like that. I like that a lot, honestly. Uh, yeah, but I, I want to talk about that and some other kind of messaging stuff. Because, um, uh, yeah, I, sure. I'm really impressed by the work you're doing. Um, and like, I have no interest in debating crazy leftists on Twitter. So, you know, God bless you for doing that work. Uh, <laughs> truly putting in the hours. You well, really are. You were that bad imp- imp- empanada arc was. Whew. It was really funny. <laughs> does that does that ever like does does that ever like get you down or like are you like a destiny type or just kind of rolls off your back? I've been doing this for long enough. It just doesn't matter anymore. 
Uh, the older I get, the the less I want to just fight with people of bad faith. Because there's so many people that, like, if you can get to them before they get exposed to toxic shit like that, you can kind of, like, vaccinate them and just, like, you know, um, I don't know. But I, you're right. We are in kind of, like, in a party or a fight for the left of soul in the country and the world. And uh, it, 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 it's, a fr- it's a fight on multiple fronts. So thanks for, for the work you're doing over there. Actually, on that note, one of the things that I've been trying to think about, and this is one of the ways that I, I, one of the first real videos I did in my channel was this short introduction. What is socialism? And um, I describe socialism. I tried to fit in as many few words as I could. It's, uh, I said, it's worker ownership, democratic planning, and low inequality. Fucking neo-lib shit. Look at, listen (laughs) to this. I can't believe it. I'm getting off here. If you... If you had to describe socialism, and you know, you obviously maybe aren't as left as I am in terms of your socialism, but if you had to try and find like a quick, easy way to explain what socialism means to you, what would be like the key words, key phrases? I try to go with like, yeah, like, like freedom and democracy, like extend the same thing that we have through the enlightenment given in broad strokes to government to like, you know, the workplace and to the economy, economic freedom, workplace freedom, labor freedom, uh, it's not like, you know, uh, and, and also like uh, emphasized democratic aspects, like reject complete rejection mm-hmm. of authoritarianism. Uh, that's where uh, how I try to. Uh, One of the favorite phrases I saw about this is more power in the hands of more people, uh, which I thought was a really nice phrase. But well, hey, I got to get off because actually I'm, I'm about to go sure. argue with a, a never Trump Republican about property rights. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm on that other side of the divide doing that. Um, but real quick, people had a question about my name. Uh, uh, it, it's Ron Hubbard, right? That's your name. It's a pun based on a because the leader I, of Scientology. I, I, I well, the successor. Um, we so like me and my friends that started Bald Move, the the pop culture arm of our podcast endeavors. Uh, we all grew up as, in a Jehovah's Witness cult, and we thought it would be funny like twelve years ago when we started this thing to take pseudonyms that were based on like religious or cult leaders like my co my co-host is jim jones i'm aaron hubbard oh and god another guy who's gone uh, away was uh, peter street saint peter so like we all mm-hmm. had kind of religious cult type names as a as a kind of a, a nod to our uh our, our history our personal history together so that's that's it i'm not a scientologist fucking hate cults. well it's been an honor to have um the true heir to the true heir to the scientology <laughs> throne um on my stream that's right um, uh let me next time we'll talk about the sea org and how you can join a rickety old fleet of boats and serve me hand and foot <laughs> and uh and as for that small service of a lifetime you'll get billions of years of feet and free free life it's uh, pretty amazing it's a pretty oh incredible God. deal one human lifetime versus billions of years of feet and free life i mean that's a good deal i need to clear my feet and okay <laughs> you um, do well thank you, you again, thank you again for coming on as a i guess a closer uh, i'm gonna do the same thing as the beginning tell us who you are which i guess you kind of just did but tell us who you are again um tell us what you do and where people can find you i'm aaron i do uh political talk uh leftist political talk over on uh my show is three right turns i also have a, a show called one weird trick where we talk about relationships and you know mm-hmm. life fulfillment happiness um, I'm also over at baldmove.com if you like uh, fairly non-offensive takes on, on pop culture like uh, you know we we, uh, we we throw some material analysis of that from time to time and uh, you can follow me on Twitter A. Ron Hubbard BM for bald move not bald move thank <laughs> well I'm glad for the clarification there thank you again for coming on and it's been yeah. a wonderful talk thank you Lo- love talking to you man hope to do it again real soon thanks to Aiden once again for coming on our show like I said, 
I don't think you've heard many gun control debates, conversations like this one. I've heard a bunch and I tend to think they're giant waste of time. You got the pro-gun person pushing outlier reports about the efficacy of self-defense and niche cases and the anti-gun person citing stats about programs that work in countries with order of less magnitude gun ownership than here in America. In fact, one of the things I kind of worried about after I got done with this conversation is that it might come off like we've skipped a few steps because for the most part, we didn't bother going down a lot of those common paths, those common talking points that I think we both felt as people who've looked in the matter fairly deeply, fairly dispassionately that they don't have a lot of ac- academic support. And I do need to look at some of the things that he he brought up, uh, statistics about how effective political violence is, and also to look more into some of the historical counterexamples that we mentioned. But aside from that, where I stand right now is where I feel like the majority of studies and expert consensus seems to converge on. I know it's a super boring way to go about things, but what can I say? It's the kind of things that groups like Moms Demand Action you know, one of the the foremost gun control lobbyists around the, the, what they're lobbying for things like updating and universalizing background checks, strengthening red flag laws and laws that disarm domestic abusers. So when your friends and family members are concerned that you have a problem, maybe prevent you from buying new guns, uh, things like uh, encouraging through education and even peer pressure, like I mentioned uh, and, and other incentives, the safe storage of firearms, because if we did this, we would greatly reduce a lot of criminal death in this country. We would greatly reduce the supply of illegal guns, which is, I feel like, what we should be concerned about. Right. Who cares about what's going on with illegal gun owners who don't shoot up people in places, which is the vast, vast number of gun owners? What I do not support are wholesale bans on types of weapons, like so-called assault weapons bans. that has been floated by the Biden administration, um, I guess even before he was uh, uh, the president. During the election, he was talking about the assault weapons ban, uh, one that's currently being considered on the House. You know, what is an assault weapon? If you think that's an easy law to write, you know, trying to draw a bright white line between so-called good guns and bad guns, I I just don't think you know what you're talking about because it's not easy. It's like banning race cars on the highway. Yeah, it sounds you just want to, you know, keep cars from being fast. But what does that mean? Is it engine displacement? Is it fins? Is it lack of uh, headlights and safety lights? Because you could probably work around that. You know, there's a lot of things that might not be called a race car that could be maybe even more dangerous, like a, you know, Two ton pickup truck going 200 miles an hour is a lot more, you know, stuff like that. It, it's it's not as easy as you think. Or it's like banning dangerous dog breeds. What does that mean? Like how much is a half pit, half lab a dangerous breed? A chihuahuas bite more people. Pit bulls do more. Da- but it, it, it's, it's not that easy. And it'd be one thing if we could ban assault weapons and actually have it work. If we could ban assault weapons for whatever value you want an assault weapon to be, and it had a meaningful effect on gun deaths or even mass gun deaths, that'd be one thing. I could see it, right? But as I alluded to in our chat, we have done this before. We have banned assault rifles and assault weapons. It didn't reduce gun deaths. It did not reduce the number of weapons in our streets. And in fact, It caused a huge uptick in purchases before the ban and increased the popularity and demand for these types of weapons ever since. 
I also don't support the 50 percent or greater taxes on weapons and ammo that's currently being proposed in the House under H.R. 5717 because I have a problem with any policy that indiscriminately targets and disarms the poor, especially when we're talking about a constitutional right. That's the other thing that gives it the extra extra heat and kick here in America. I don't support other things like federal licensing requirements and insurance because I don't believe that they would reduce the number of guns in the country. I don't believe it reduced the number of deaths, but it would turn a lot of otherwise law abiding citizens into criminals. Uh, it would probably lose a lot of otherwise available voters to us forever. I mean, we keep talking about the slim majorities that we win elections in this country and you want to alienate five, 10, 15% of moderates in this country for an entire generation on policies that aren't even clearly effective. Or is it worth just guaranteeing the loss of rural voters for a generation? Because I think that's what we're looking at if we pursue these policies. You know, why do people shoot up churches and schools? In the vast majority of cases, because they've got untreated mental issues exacerbated by social and financial pressures. Why do 18 year olds shoot each other in the streets? It's because the illegal drug trade makes gangs powerful and fighting over turf very lucrative. By the way, the blood flowing in our streets is just a trickle compared to the blood being spilt in Central and South America to fuel our drug appetites. Why do mostly men take their lives with guns? Because they have untreated emotional and mental problems. Because they can't feed their families and our society has taught them that that's directly their fault. Because they came home fucked up from fighting foreign wars. I mean, look, if we get universal health care, including mental health care in this country, if we're able to increase education and economic opportunity to folks, if we're able to legalize drugs in favor of treatment education, if we continue to strengthen our social safety nets and our resources we provide veterans, and we still have gun deaths far out of line with other developed countries, fine, fine. Then let's take a flyer on some novel or unpopular approaches to gun control, because why not? We've tried everything else, right? But, but why are we doing this now? Why are we insisting on attacking the symptoms of the rot in our society rather than the causes? I, I know, I've said, we can chew gum and walk at the same time. We don't have to single-mindedly pursue healthcare, or education, or COVID relief, or anything, right? But at the same time, we do have to push a lot of fairly unpopular legislation in terms of Things we've talked about, healthcare, protecting our environment, mitigating climate change in terms of criminal justice reform and education in terms of protecting minority and women rights. That's all going to require a lot of arguing and a lot of reason and a lot of compromise and a lot of like changing people's mind, moving the needle on things. Why push an anti-gun agenda? Where is the expert consensus that this is going to meaningfully impact gun deaths and ownership? Where is the data behind it? And what are we going to get in terms of return for the political capital that we're spending here? What are we not going to get in these other desperately needed areas because of lost support? I mean, look, if I could wave a magic wand, I would get everyone right of center to give up trying to restrict women's reproductive health care rights. And I would get everyone left of center to give up trying to restrict access to guns. Because I think absent these two issues, we'd have a lot more consensus on what it means to do right by our citizens. If we concentrate on those issues, we'd see massive drops in gun violence and suicide. And we continue to see drops in the rate of abortion. 
because those abortion rates do continue to fall. Because as we expand education on sex and availability of birth control, women don't need to terminate as many pregnancies. I mean, imagine that. One of my chief frustrations with the anti-abortion crowd is most of them don't want to expand sexual education. They don't want to expand access to birth control. They certainly don't want to have to support a woman and a child after a birth has occurred. I mean... They say they want to reduce abortion, but they certainly don't seem to act or they have a failure of imagination on how to do that in any other way than to punish women for having abortions. My problem with the pro gun control crowd isn't that bad. I want to make that clear. You know, it's, it's not the same thing, but it has kind of similar feel and, and shape to it. I often feel like people would rather promote things that make them feel like they're helping with the issue of gun violence in America from a place of often limited understanding and perspective than to promote things that will actually help reduce gun violence. Just like there's the oft remarked upon old men who can't even bring themselves to say the word vagina, who are squeamish around the concept of menstrual cycles. They're the ones passing legislation on what goes on with women's wombs and how stupid that is, how silly, how maddening it is. Well, there's also the oft remarked upon out of touch urban liberal who's never owned or even seen a gun in real life, who has never lived in an area that's far from police protection, where there are still threats to one's family and home from predators, where hunting can often be an important supplement to a family's diet, wanting to legislate gun ownership in Nebraska and Montana the way it needs to be done in New York City, Chicago, L.A., etc. And to the extent that gun control gets in the way of healthcare, education, housing, it's, it's real frustrating. That's how I see it anyway. If you see it different, love to talk to you about it. 3RT at SwizzBold.com to give feedback on this or any other topic that we've talked about. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Please consider following us at SwizzBold on Twitter to find out the latest releases of 3 Right Turns or any live streams we might be doing. You can also subscribe to our YouTube at SwizzBold or our Twitch at SwizzBold since I'm going to be streaming to both of those services simultaneously for the foreseeable future. It's a great way to keep up to date and uh, find when those streams drop and, and where they're archived. And if you enjoy the unique perspective that I offer on this show, I encourage you to support us via Patreon.com slash SwizzBold. Patrons get access to our monthly live streams and other exclusive benefits. Speaking of which, we're running a bit behind on the, this February SwizzBold live stream, what with the Groundhog Day Marathon over at Bald Move and the other stuff. But we are getting back on track. The next live stream will be February 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we'll probably have another one in early March. So sign up today at Patreon.com slash SwizzBold to get back-to-back live streams or a close approximation uh, of same uh, as well as get a, a year of archived streams. You know, there's just tons of content, dozens of hours at this point of content over at patreon.com slash You can't get anywhere else. And at this point, I'd like to personally thank each of our Fred level supporters. Thanks to Kira Anoka Jung, Matt Clark, George Pepperdell, Frederick Hurley, Lisa Singleton, Jordan Hoyt, Brandon DeVito, James Taylor, Greg Rasp, Dave Satterley, Doug Campen, Jason Schoolcraft, Jared Harrelman, Mark Hahn, Sarah McDonald, Robert Bullock, Arvin Rao, Angela Morano, Brian Rasmussen, Slava Kasraliovic, Laura L., and Jason M. Klug. Klug? Klug? Uh, I gotta get, I gotta get, I got, I gotta get Klugification on this one. Uh, I feel like I've, I've won it two months in a row. 
Uh, I need you to stop by a live stream, Jason, and, and, and set me straight. I think it's Clug. Sounds Clug. Thanks once again, either way, for your support of Swizzbold. And until I see you next time, make sure you line up your policy prescriptions with your political goals. And I hope you all have a pleasant rest of your week. 